Are you walking a hard but beautiful journey? Are you sitting in a space that you never thought you'd be? Have you experienced infertility, a miscarriage, adoption? Or are you parenting kids with a behavioral disability? Have these struggles put unbearable strains on your relationships? Or have you struggled with your mental health? I have experienced all of this. My husband and I struggled with infertility and fought for our three beautiful children, our miracles. We went through the struggles, the pain, and the financial burden of IVF in order to have these incredible children. And that journey was so freaking hard. We felt like failures and we felt alone in our struggle. And now, all three of our children have been diagnosed with ADHD, ODD, and anxiety disorders. And if possible, that has been even more challenging. Again, we have felt alone, confused, like we were bad parents, like we were being judged at every turn. It has tested our marriage. It has broke me many times to the point of two complete mental breakdowns. So, if you are experiencing this, please know you are not alone. That's why I've created this safe space for you, so that we can together find the education, resources, support, mentorship, inspiration, and more that we need to grow on this hard yet beautiful journey. Because at the end of it all, I wouldn't trade a second of what I went through because these children, our marriage, our family, and my mental health is worth fighting for. I'm also here to remind you that telling your story is part of the journey. Someone in your life, someone in the world needs to hear it, and I will be encouraging you along the way to tell your story. I'm Tiffany Vaughn. I'm so grateful you're here. It's time to walk your own hard, beautiful journey. Hey there, welcome back to Hard Beautiful Journey. This is Tiffany Vaughn and you are here for episode seven. I am very grateful as usual that you are here with me. And as usual, I would like to start this episode with one of my wonderful reviews. And this time it comes from Tears of Joy Photo and it is titled Meaningful. Listening to Tiffany talk real life makes me feel like I'm not alone. She talks about subjects that are often hidden and makes them so approachable in her endearing way. Even though the topics are tough, she brings humor and wise advice to them. Pull up a comfy throw with your beverage of choice and enjoy. Thank you so much for that review. It really does mean the world that you took the time out of your day to do that. All right, so on to the episode. Hell bent and on a mission. That is how I would describe my state of mind when we return from our Florida trip. We have three out of three kids diagnosed with ADHD and ODD. ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and ODD is oppositional defiance disorder. This must be the reason our experience in our Florida trip was so over the top, right? It's got to be why. So I had to understand this more or I was surely going to lose my sanity 
or what was ever left of it. The kids went back to school after the Easter break, after our Florida trip, and that was when I was introduced to an OT therapist at Turner Valley School, and an OT is uh, an occupational therapist. We were talking, and she casually mentioned that I should look into this guy out in Kelowna. His name is Dan Duncan. She said that he gives amazing presentations on ADHD, and she thought that it would be really beneficial for our family and for me to look into it. So I did, and one month later, I was on a plane with my mom to Kelowna. We were going to make it a girl's trip, one of learning, being together, and also just visiting a whole bunch of our family that lives out in that area. If the presentation isn't good, at least we got this time together. So we go to the presentation, and the room that it was in was actually quite big. I thought that it might get half full... There really can't be that many people that need this information. But wow, was I wrong. It was packed. And looking around at the faces, I knew that we were in good company because they all looked just as tired and stressed and curious as I did. Some were parents, some were grandparents, and some were adults and teens with ADHD that wanted to understand themselves more. What was so cool to see was there were many teachers in the audience as well because they wanted to understand their students better and that made my heart so, so happy. Dan Duncan was diagnosed as an adult. He's also a father of someone with ADHD. He's an ADHD coach, consultant, and academic strategist. He works in this field every day and he lives it himself. I immediately felt at ease that I was going to learn what I needed to that day. Before I go into what Dan talked about, James and I really want our listeners to hear this. Saying the following phrases is harmful, not true, and I hope to educate why. ADHD doesn't exist or it is overdiagnosed. ADHD is caused by bad parenting. Adults don't have ADHD, so your child will outgrow it. Everyone has ADHD symptoms to some degree. It's no big deal. ADHD is an excuse to be blank and fill in the blank with some derogatory label. Before our children were diagnosed with ADHD, I quite literally knew nothing about it. And I mean zero, squat, nada. So what I would like to do right now is outline what the criteria for an ADHD diagnosis is so that if you suspect that you have somebody in your family that might have it or that you might have it and have been undiagnosed, hopefully this will help guide you into understanding if you need to look into it more. People with ADHD show a persistent pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity, impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development. There are two types, three types actually, of ADHD inattention, hyperactivity and impulsivity, and a combination presentation. The first one that I'm going to go through is inattention. There are six or more symptoms of inattention for children up to age 16 years, or five or more for adolescents age 17 and older and adults. Symptoms of inattention have been present for at least six months, and they are inappropriate for developmental levels. Some of these are often fails to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work, or other activities. 
often has trouble holding attention on tasks or play activities, often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly, often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties in the workplace, often has trouble organizing tasks and activities, often avoids dislikes or is reluctant to do tasks that require mental effort over a long period of time, such as schoolwork or homework. Often loses things necessary for tasks and activities. Example would be school materials, books, wallet, keys, paperwork, glasses, or mobile phones. Is often easily distracted and is often forgetful in daily activities. Hyperactivity and impulsivity. Six or more symptoms of hyperactivity impulsivity for children up to age 16 or five or more age 17 or older in adults. They have been present for at least six months to an extent that is disruptive and inappropriate for the person's developmental level. These include fidgeting with or taps hands or feet or squirms in seat. Often leaves seat in situations when remaining seated is expected. Often runs about or climbs in situations where it is not appropriate often unable to play or take part in leisure activities quietly, is often on the go, acting as if driven by a motor, often talks excessively, often blurts out an answer before a question has been completed, often has trouble waiting their turn, often interrupts or intrudes on others. In addition, the following conditions must be met. Several inattentive or hyperactivity impulse symptoms were present before age 12 years, Several symptoms are present in two or more settings, such as at home, school, or work, with family or friends, and in other activities. There is clear evidence that the symptoms interfere with or reduce the quality of social, school, or work functioning. And the symptoms are not better explained by another mental disorder, such as a mood disorder, anxiety disorder, or personality disorder. The symptoms do not happen only during the course of schizophrenia or another psychotic disorder. Based on the type of symptoms, three kinds of presentations of ADHD can occur. Combined presentation. If enough symptoms of both criteria, inattention and hyperactivity impulsivity were present for the past six months, then there is predominantly inattentive presentation and predominantly hyperactive impulsive presentation. Because symptoms can change over time, the presentation may also change over time. There are many factors that go into a doctor diagnosing someone. So, yeah, to be diagnosed, one has to check off a lot of boxes. Doctors do not diagnose everyone with ADHD now. That is simply not the case. So please understand, this is real, and this is something that needs the same respect as someone dealing with a physical health ailment, like heart issues. This particular quote in Dan's presentation struck me like a lightning bolt, and it's by Dr. Russell A. Barkley, PhD. And it says, ADHD individuals do not have a problem knowing what to do. They have a problem doing what they know. ADHD, like a meat cleaver, has separated those two mechanisms so that what is known does not carry forward to influence what is done. It should be called intention deficit. Children and adults with ADHD tend to struggle with these seven core executive dysfunctions. One, working memory. 
Two, task-related executive function. Three, response inhibition. Four, selective attention. Five, spatial spanning. Six, emotional regulation. And seven, verbal working memory. When I first heard these terms, my mind turned to mush. But I soon learned some amazing strategies for each of these that have helped our kids. And the three that I think I would like to discuss today are working memory, selective attention, and spatial spanning. These three are key to helping me understand not only my kids, but it helped understand another person in my family for sure. All right, the first one is called working memory. And this is by far the best explanation I have heard And so I will just read it directly from Dan himself. I will have a link in the show notes to his website if you'd like to read more about it. And his blog post is called Sticky Note Memory. At age eight, mom asked me to go downstairs and fetch a scoop of food for Princess, our family pet. I penciled a rough sketch of a dog and bowl on a sticky note and stuck it to my forehead to remind me what I was supposed to do when I got downstairs. My baseball glove laying at the bottom of the staircase caught my eye as I passed by. The smell of leather and dust was too compelling. As I turned around and bent over to pick it up, the sticky note fell off my forehead. Somehow the rough pencil sketch had magically transformed into a vivid color image of a baseball glove and bat. At age 12, I could stick two notes at a time to my forehead, which helped keep my mind on finishing simple tasks even in the midst of minor distractions. I simply put the task on one note and the distraction on the other. When I was finished with one or the other, the remaining note would grab my attention. Unfortunately, if the task itself required two notes worth of sketches, make your bed, do your homework, and write an apology to the teacher, any interesting distraction that came along meant that one or more of the original tasks would be erased and replaced with the distraction. Somewhere past my mid-teens, I became suspicious that my teachers were giving more sticky notes to my classmates than they were to me. For example, no matter how carefully I listened in class, most assignments were marked incomplete for not including all of the work the teacher had supposedly asked us for. Band, social studies, and especially English. It didn't matter what subject. The report card told the same story. Incomplete. Pay more attention. Stop fooling around. The bright spots were phys ed or any other sports teams I was on. Those received my full attention. People with ADHD likely know where this blog is going. The rest may be thinking, huh? Let me explain. One of the executive functions of our brain is commonly called working memory. The ability to hold information in mind for a time while you use it to perform a task. Think of working memory as having a wall in your brain where you can post sticky notes with sketched images or keywords on them to help keep your mind on topic as you perform and complete a task. Once you are finished the task, you simply peel those notes off the wall and toss them away, making room for fresh stickies with information about the next task or distraction. As a normal functioning brain matures, it can hold more sticky notes to work with at any given time. As a bonus, that sticky stuff on the back of the note That gets upgraded to better quality so the notes can stick in your mind longer when you are fully mature, but not so with ADHD. If we say that a normal mature brain can hold six or seven sticky notes worth of information in working memory, 
then in comparison, ADHD brains would hold only two or three notes at best. Not only that, the the ADHD brain never does receive the upgrade of sticky stuff. So most notes don't stick around that long in an ADHD brain before falling off the wall. What's worse, whatever sticky stuff they put on boring notes doesn't even stick to that imaginary wall in the ADHD brain, making it virtually impossible to remember boring information long enough to turn it into action. This type of explanation is useful to understand why ADHD individuals find it hard to plan, perform, and complete boring or complicated tasks. ADHD working memory can't work with as much information at what at one time as a normal functioning brain, nor can it hold on to that information for as long. That means less information and shorter duration, especially for uninteresting topics. Another ADHD phenomenon can also be explained with the sticky note scenario. If the ADHD individual is extremely interested in something, their brain may fill their entire quota of notes with the information necessary to pay attention to whatever they are currently locked onto, like a video game, sports on TV, a favorite novel, and their interests may be so intense that the notes seem to be stapled to the wall rather than stickied. This hyperfocus can be frustrating for others who try to get the ADHD person's attention. Trying to post a note like take out the garbage, cook dinner, or change the baby's diaper is impossible because the limited number of sticky notes are already filled with more captivating information and their brain is resisting any outside attempts to alter their focus. Removing the highly interesting stapled notes to make room for your notes takes considerably more time and effort than usual. Common responses to hyperfocus are (laughs) raising your voice, punishing, consequencing, labeling, or abandoning. And those are confusing for the person with ADHD who wasn't purposely trying to ignore others. Also, those responses do little towards addressing ADHD interest-based attention problems. In fact, they worsen it because punishment, labels, and ostracism aren't that interesting to anyone. There are ways to increase the ADHD person's success in this area, but an understanding of the ADHD working memory is critical in developing personally tailored strategies, which improve the person's ability to successfully navigate the world around them. You would not even believe how many times we have to ask our children to do a task like put on socks before putting on your shoes. There are too many distractions, I guess, between the kitchen to their bedroom and the sticky note has fallen off long before they got to their bedroom. Prior to learning they had ADHD, we would ask them, go get dressed, brush your teeth, brush your hair. Now, for us, it is one-step instructions, only one step at a time. Does this take longer to get things done around here? For sure. But knowing why it does has helped in the frustration levels in our home immensely. Selective attention. This was also a huge aha moment for me. At one point in the presentation, my mouth actually hung open. And I looked at my mom and we both said the same word, which I'll tell you in a bit. Selective attention is simply the act of focusing on a particular object 
for a period of time while simultaneously ignoring irrelevant information that is also occurring. This occurs on a daily basis and can be seen in basically any of our interactions. In non-ADHD brains, it is much easier to change where you want your attention to go. For example, if you're at home and you're watching TV, but you know the dishes need to get done, it is easy for you to switch attention and go to the kitchen to do the dishes. This is not the case in ADHD brains. ADHD attention is captured, not controlled. Therefore, it is almost exclusively interest-based. Apparent sustained focus is actually sustained captivation. It is more difficult for people with ADHD to become focused, to stay focused, and to switch focus toward a less interesting scenario even if they consider that scenario more important. For successful interaction with ADHD people, it is always a three-step process. Capture their attention, interact, and then you need to recapture their attention. Three keys here. Reduce distractions, increase what they're interested in, and shorten the duration. So back to why my mouth dropped open. As Dan was telling us all of this great information, he was sprinkling in personal stories of himself, his son, and his family life. One particular story he told while discussing selective attention was when I came to the quick realization that my sweet darling husband, James, most definitely 1000% had signs of being ADHD. And as the seminar continued, it became more and more clear. That is for sure. The next one is spatial spanning. Now this is when everything started to make so much sense to me, and I hope I do this justice in my explanation. I will break it down into social spanning for emotions and spatial spanning for time management. So the first one is emotions. In a neurotypical brain, past emotions tend to blend with current emotions, which makes it smoother overall. For example, yesterday's good news helps to buffer today's bad news. Or Friday's struggle is easier to tackle because fun is planned for the weekend. In ADHD brains, emotions do not span over time. Current emotions are almost entirely reflective of what's going on now. For example, the frenzied rage from 10 minutes ago is instantly replaced with hilarious laughter that a, from a joke that was just told. Or days of fun enjoyed with their friends is forgotten instantly when one of them teases them. And then there is spatial spanning as it relates to time management. And for this, I want you to picture a circle, a big circle, with the words here and now in the middle of it. In a neurotypical brain, this circle is large and contains the word close and soon. Time and space feel like they transition smoothly. They feel future events getting closer as time passes. The brain feels pressure of approaching events and rises to the occasion providing motivation, focus, energy, recall, you name it. The brain feels the space between future events, such as this morning's tasks, 
an upcoming exam, or a project that's due in two weeks. And this is called graduated proximity. But in an ADHD brain, the circle is small and only the words here and now are in it. And not here and not now are on the outside of the circle, usually far away from the circle itself. Time and space are focused on the here and now only. Everything that is not here and now feels the same. Individuals can't feel future events getting closer until they enter that time circle, that small time circle. And this makes procrastination and cramming a hallmark of ADHD, and anxiety goes through the roof. So to help an ADHD brain with time management and spatial spanning, consider the following. The less interesting a task is, the smaller the time circle. The ability to start, maintain, and complete a task is largely largely related to the ability to feel the end from the beginning. You need to clarify task details and give time estimates. Give them a big picture. Also, what is beneficial, we have found this beneficial, is chunk large tasks with time estimates and view each of those chunks as a single task. For example, say you had to study for two hours. This may be best accomplished by studying for 20 minutes and then take a 10-minute movement break and continue like that. When it comes to scheduling, start with a due date of the whole assignment and work backwards and schedule due dates for each chunk with alarms. Parking tasks in time allows that ADHD mind to focus on now and then wait for the next chunk to show up when planned. I really hope that this makes sense. And if not, check the show notes for a link to Dan's website in my blog. There is so much good info in there. At one point during the presentation, Dan played a YouTube video for us. And holy, I ugly cried. It is called What I Want to Say to My Mom Who Drugged Me. That was the first time I heard from someone that described what it was like as a child to experience ADHD and that her mom was there to help her understand herself better. Like I said, I ugly cried along with many others and I highly recommend watching this video if you're experiencing this right now. I left that weekend understanding one thing so very clearly. Up until that weekend, I honestly thought that having ADHD was a bad thing. It was a detriment to my kids and that it would be a problem for their entire lives. But having ADHD is not a bad thing. And it is not something to be ashamed of. It is not because we are bad parents. ADHD is a neurological disorder. Yes, that is right. It is something in the brain. So of course it can't be seen through a scan or an MRI, but trust me when I say it is real. And when you live with four people that have it, and quite possibly two dogs that might have it as well, you would definitely agree that ADHD is real. It is my hope to help others understand that ADHD is actually a superpower. By helping your child, your partner, or yourself understand that it's what direction you choose to use this superpower, for good or for bad. I know many ADHD people that have done amazing things because of how their brain works, 
and that includes James. He can get done more things in a day than most, but usually hyper-focuses on those tasks that he likes, like laundry. I'm not kidding. The guy loves laundry, and I love that. If he has to get some things done that don't interest him, now that is a different story. You have to make it interesting, or there is no focus. One thing I highly recommend if you are a parent dealing with children with ADHD is join some of the support groups that are on Facebook. There is amazing people in these groups and they know what it's like and they get it. And one of those people is a lady named Becky Kingsman. She is in one of my ADHD support groups. She posted the most amazing piece And with her full permission, I am going to read it. A little more than 18 years ago, I gave birth to a superhero. His superpower was electricity. He was electric. He was powerful. He was loud. When he walked into a room, he would fill a space so entirely that it would become suffocating. You could feel his electricity transfer to everybody in that room. His electricity was wild and uncontrollable. I had created this giant, uncontrollable energy, and it terrified me. It terrified a lot of people. I had imagined a mold for my superhero, and I didn't understand why he refused to fit into it like a good boy, like an easy and controllable boy. Why couldn't he just be the normal that I had imagined for myself? What was wrong with him? What was wrong with him? I would ask in anger over and over when my superhero refused to get into that mold I had imagined for him every day. It was impossible for my little superhero to control his electricity and slow his current. That was very inconvenient for me, for his teachers, for his peers. I almost lost myself trying to control my superhero, growing increasingly angry and bitter toward my wild electric boy. My superhero's electricity grew angry and more powerful and harder to control. The more powerful my superboy became, the harder I tried to jam him into this small, quiet, controllable mold that I had imagined for myself. It's hard being the mother of electricity. I doused my little superhero in water every day and got angry that this didn't extinguish his his electricity. We all know what happens when you throw water on electricity. I can see now that my superhero was a beautiful electric storm. I now watch him from a distance and am in awe of his beauty, of his power. I could stand here forever and watch the lightning show and listen to the distant rumble and the soothing pitter-patter on the roof above me. I want to go back and do it over for Jake. I want to have this time over as a proud creator of a superhero, of a perfect storm, reminding him every day that he is electric and powerful. He is a superhero. But then I think, can I appreciate the beauty of a storm when I'm standing in it? The thunder deafening, the lightning crashing down around me, the rain so heavy and relentless that I can't see anything but the flashes of lightning. Can't hear anything but the constant bangs and ringing in my ears. I gave birth to a superhero, and his power was electricity. He was a beautiful, powerful storm. And once he rolled over the top of me, I could see him for the wonder that he is. 
I pray that he still knows that he is electricity, that he is a beautiful storm. Becky, the way you wrote about your son is how I feel about all three of our kids. It isn't how I always felt, that is for sure, but I am so grateful that I am here now. And it's a great reminder that our ADHD kids are electricity and they will do amazing things in this world. For this episode, I would like to conclude what I am grateful for. I am grateful for Dan Duncan and his incredible knowledge around ADHD and how much it has helped our family over the years. For my mom, coming with me and providing the support I really needed during this time, I loved our girls' trip. And lastly, for Becky Kingsman, writing the most incredible post to help me remember how electric my kids and my husband are. Hey there. Thank you so much again for being here and listening. It means the world to me. I know how busy life is and that you could be doing so much with your time. And the fact that you chose to spend your time listening to my podcast is so amazing to me. And I'm just so grateful. So thank you. If you like the show again and the content that I'm sharing, please be sure and subscribe and leave a written review because when you do that, it definitely gets out into the world more and that would mean the world to me. You can find me in many areas in the big wide web and I will have links to all of those places in my show notes. Again, I am so grateful for you and I'm always cheering you on and just please remember to always be kind. And until next time, stay well.